Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Blessing it is to be in this conference and be a part of what we're doing and what we're what we're seeing. Thank God, very humbling to preach on Thursday night, and uh, we're going to believe God to help us tonight. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter twenty-one. Praise God, Matthew twenty-one, and you can uh, diminish the monitors a little bit for me. Praise God. I was remembering that uh, while I was still a young disciple in Prescott, the job that I had at the time afforded me uh, afternoons off quite often. And so one day I was uh, enjoying myself, uh, lounging around, eating chips and salsa, and I felt God deal with me very distinctly to go downtown to the park and witness. Now, it wasn't like you know, I had these impressions all the time, and so like a good disciple, I ignored it. <laughs> and to my surprise, the next day it was even stronger. I, I just couldn't get away from it. You need to go downtown to the park and witness. And so I told Jen, I said, look, you know what? I need to go downtown and witness. Do you want to go? And she said, sure. So we got in the car. Drove up to the park, and there was almost nobody in the park. And out of the corner of my eye, when I got out of the car, I saw two young men uh, playing frisbee, and I felt God say, them. So as a faithful servant, I walked the other way. <laughs> Just being honest. And walked all around the park, 
with no success witnessing at all, and got all, all the way around to where these two guys were, and I began to speak to them about Christ. And I want to tell you, heaven fell in a peculiar way, just an anointing from God. And these men were impacted and were very open. They didn't pray with me right then, but they promised to come to the music scene that night, and it happened to be Friday night. We used to have music scene Friday and Saturday night. And they both came to the music scene, and they both got really saved. They both served God in the Prescott Church, one of them, for many years. And I, you know, I've reflected on that. I've, I've, I've had to puzzle a little bit over that experience. And so I've had to ask myself, now were those two guys at the park both days that God dealt with me? Or did God just know it would take two days for me to obey him? <laughs> and only re eternity will reveal. It's embarrassing in one sense, but I want you to know it's encouraging in another way because either way, God is able to use even a reluctant vessel. And I want to talk at World Evangelism Night tonight, a principle that has profound application to our subject tonight, the sermon I've called, Just Do It. Matthew 21, let's read verse 28 through 31. Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it or repented and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said unto him, The first. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter into the kingdom of God before you. I want to look at three truths from this text. And I want to look, first of all, at a job to be done. Now, when you consider the context in which Christ told this story, it brings great insight. And an overview of Matthew, Matthew 21 reveals some things. If you look at this, verse 1 through 10, it deals with Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the coming king. This is a huge event. This was prophesied in Zechariah 9, verse 9, approximately 450 years before. This was no light moment. This was a signature event in the history of that nation, and it should have by all rights been a glorious event. This was the day God was fulfilling the promise of the Messiah, this was the day every Jew was waiting for. And instead, Messiah would be rejected. And if you read verse 15, the religious leaders tried to shut him down. Verse 12 and 13, you see Jesus cleansing the temple. He drove out the merchants and the money changers. They were taking advantage of those who wanted to worship. They had turned it into a den of thieves, verse 23 through 27. You see the priests and the elders challenging Christ's authority. They are resisting their own Messiah. This is the antichrist spirit that the Apostle John said was already in the world. And how many of you know it remains to this day? 
But many times with a religious front and many times has a religious exterior. I don't know how many of you read about the dean for religious life at Stanford University who happens to be a lesbian. Her statement was the church needs to stop converting. And in Australia, there's a great controversy brewing from Hillsong as the founder is, is discovered to be a child molester and violations overlooked by the son who is now the pastor or became the pastor at one point. And so this is, this is a spirit, this is a spiritual contamination of what God's purpose is for the church. And basically in our text, looking at this, you have a religious circus. And it's into this context that Jesus tells a story about a man who planted a vineyard. He had two sons. He told them to go to work in, in the vineyard. He expected the sons, as obedient sons, to help it produce a fruitful harvest. And if you think about it, this is a simple summation for God's overall heart and purpose for planet Earth. God's heart is that the earth would be harvested. The prize are precious souls that have fallen into sin to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the simple truth is, that is all God has ever wanted. Even when Israel was a nation, they were to be a witness to, the, to that end, and here is Jesus the Christ that came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. He said to his disciples, lift up your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you know, 2,000 years later, that's still why we exist in the earth. That's still why the church exists. That's still why our fellowship exists. That's why we have a conference. That's why we have a Thursday night world evangelism emphasis. And our premise has always been, while we do seek the mind of God, we fast and pray. In reality, in the larger scope, we don't need to hear another word from God. We have our marching orders. We have been told what we are to do. And the truth is, they have not been rescinded. We need to just do it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. And our validity, our right to call ourselves the church, the degree to which we can even claim to be succeeding is directly related to the degree of which we are busy fulfilling this job. We have a job to do this evening. I want to look secondly at a command to obey. And I think most people would agree that there is something genuinely contemptible about people who are all talk. And it's not surprising that God shares the same view. In Isaiah 29 and 13, Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draws near to me with their mouth, and their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, the New Testament says in Titus 1 and 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. See, in the text, the second son, he came to the second son, verse 30, said, go to work in my harvest. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. 
Now, it's obvious that this son represents the religious leaders. This is who he was aiming at here. And their sin was not a lack of religion. It was not a lack of religious activity. In many ways, these people were extremely committed. The example of Christ's story, they simply disobeyed the Father's command to go to work in the harvest. I go, sir. And then he did not go. And you can almost predict the son's excuse. Well, you know, I intended to go. I, I was, I fully intended to go, especially when I said it. When I said I will go, I had every intention of going, but something came up. And the problem with that, we've heard it said, you cannot serve God in disobedience. You know, you cannot serve God in disobedience. It is a contradiction of terms. The Father has a right to tell us what to do. And over the years, we've experienced the heartbreak of men and leaders with great ministry and fruitfulness who we all looked up to at one time or another to see them rebel and leave the fellowship. And how many of you know they always have their reasons? There's always the stated uh, reasons and it, it is horrible to watch in time lie, their lives unravel, ministries downgraded, compromise, sin, marriages fall apart, and it is tragic. Uh, and I, I want to tell you, I have no pleasure hearing the latest burnout. I, I really don't. I don't get pleasure out of hearing these things. And you ponder about this, and I'll never forget Pastor Mitchell sharing with us. This would have been some years ago that at least one point, many of these men, if not all of them at that point, who had left, he said at one time had made themselves available for international ministry as missionaries. But when the door opened and they were asked to go, they said no. I want you to just put your head around that for a minute. Because you cannot serve God in disobedience. Somebody said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The son said, I go, sir, but he, he didn't go. In the Old Testament, God had a purpose for Jonah. He said, go to Nineveh and preach, and he didn't. And I, I, was, I was fascinated as I was reading through this recently. It says that God prepared a storm and then God prepared a fish, and then God even prepared a gourd to try to help rehabilitate him. But the truth is it became very uncomfortable for Jonah to disobey. Somebody said, God may not make you do his will, but he can make you wish you had. <laughs> and look at verse 43 and 44. This is extreme here. Therefore, I say to you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, and on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Ultimately, what he was saying was that Israel would be removed as the elect, which means the chosen instrument for you recovering Calvinists. 
or those of you who aren't recovering at all. It doesn't mean that God chose who's going to heaven or hell. That term elect, it, it represents the chosen instrument that was intended to carry the light. And they were removed as the elect because they did not obey the simple command to go into the harvest. And God said, I will make the Gentile church the elect as long as they obey. Matthew 7, 21 and 22, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. But in the meantime, this is fascinating, verse 28 and 29. He says, What do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, No. But later, repented and went. And Jesus said, by comparison, that's better. And in this case, it was completely acceptable. I'm not, I'm not saying that to encourage disobedience in the immediate. With the intent, you know, that, that I'm going to eventually go when it's convenient. That's risky and very foolish. I am not saying this to promote the idea of stubbornly obeying. I'm not talking about, okay, okay, you know. Sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, it says he repented and went. At some point he said, how can I say no to him? What am I, what am I doing? Well, how could, he's my father. I owe him. And of course I'll go. And what, what am I thinking? And you know what? That, that's really liberating to me. Because the truth is we do struggle in our flesh. Does anybody in here ever struggle in your flesh? To evangelize? We struggle in our flesh. We have our preferences. We have the foolish notions that we know better than God, but at the end of the day, God wants us to just do it. Just do it. And I understand that, you know, there, we, we have, you know, we have a, uh, discipleship and we, we have to vet and, and, and not everybody's going to go internationally, but this applies to outreach and evangelism at any level. I told my disciples, I said, you know, my experience of evangelizing and, and doing outreaches in various cities is I can tell that the outreach is going to be good when on the way to the outreach, my flesh is going why do we do this? Does anybody ever go through that? I mean, I'm serious. It's just like, why do we do this? And I, I've learned to say, you know what? This is going to be a good one. Because nine times out of ten, when my flesh is cringing like that, it turns out to be gangbusters. Amen? And I've learned that if I can get my, pick my flesh up by the scruff of the neck and say, you loser, you get, get about the business of God's kingdom, then God comes down and it's exhilarating. Amen. The Holy Spirit kicks in and there's such joy. Can you say amen? That is, that's just part of the deal. And that's at least one way that this can be interpreted. And that is, it can give you comfort that if you've ever struggled with doing the will of God, if you've ever had to bring your flesh into line, if you will repent with a right heart, God will use that. 
You know, there's an old story, and I don't, I don't know how true this is, but it's a great, it's a great illustration. Apparently, during World War II, there was some reporter that was able to cross lines and, and was able to interview the three personalities, Hitler, Mussolini, and Roosevelt. And this reporter said to each one of them, how did you get to where you are in this, in this conflict? And, and they said, Hitler got this faraway look in his eye and just said, I was sent. Mussolini puffed out his chest and said, well, I came. And apparently Roosevelt said, heck, somebody had to do this. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it feels like sometimes in world evangelism. It's like, you know, somebody, what, what else is there to do, man? You know, I, I, I remind my men that most of the work in the world is done by people who are tired and don't feel good. That's just life, man. Just do it. And I can say my last three postings is Nairobi, Gallup, and Perth. These were not slots I was lining up for. But I can tell you, I remember in, when in Farmington, aware of the need in Nairobi, and God is dealing with me, I remember wrestling my will into God's hands. And, and I'm not trying to sound trite or you know melodramatic, but literally I remember praying, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And how God honored that, that decision of simply doing what he wants us to do. And every one of these has been an unspeakable privilege. It's, it's embarrassing to look back. It is embarrassing to think that there's that much struggle in our flesh for privilege, for incredible, unspeakable privilege. Zach Triono is a, a young man from Jakarta, Indonesia. And we had, apparently Perth had sent missionaries to Indonesia many years ago, and Zach married the missionary's daughter and found his way back to Perth in Australia. And he was very happy about that. And he became a citizen of Australia. And he was, you know, he was a good guy. And when I got there, I, I, I learned who they were with very low profile, very comfortable, low key. And two, two years ago, he came to me and, and he said, Pastor Payne, do you know that, that story in the Bible about the two sons? He says, I'm the son who said no, but needs to go. He says, I know that I need to go to Indonesia. And I said, Zach, that's fine. And look, I wasn't hunting this guy. I wasn't aiming at this guy. I wasn't, uh, you know, trying to, to throw barbs at him. I, you know, listen, he, you know, he, he has to work this out. And, and people, you know, they're accepted at the level they choose to be. It's between them and God. He just came to me and, and, he, and I said, okay, well, Zach, just get involved. And he got into a band, became a Bible study leader. Began to do disciple outreaches. I eventually asked him to head up follow-up. Two years after he came to me, we had an emergency arise in Jakarta, Indonesia, and I had to make a, a decision very quick, and he and his family were able to go in and fit like a glove. Hallelujah. I wonder if God knew it would take him two years to obey. 
or maybe two years to prepare. But in the end, you know, it's okay. God honored it. And the truth is, listen, it's better when people obey immediately. Don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is if you're honest, battling your flesh is part of the equation. And in the end, you need to do it. It's just like giving. There's an old saying, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take money from a grouch. (laughs) You need to give. And your flesh might not like it, but just do it. In John 21, 18, Jesus said to Peter after he failed, he says, when you were young, you would get ready and go where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will get you ready and take you where you don't want to go. And you know, God powerfully used Peter. The fact that Peter was a little bit off his game, that didn't disqualify him. He surrendered his first altar call. He had 3,000 people added to the church. There was a time his shadow was healing people. He wrote in the New Testament, not bad for a reluctant astronaut. And I can tell you that there's times, I don't eavesdrop, but there's times I hear Pastor Mitchell praying, and he'll say, God, help me to know your will and do it. And you know what? That's a very scriptural prayer. Philippians 2 and 13. Profound scripture. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. One translation says, God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his purpose. I'm going to close with a third truth from this, and that's grace that rewards Very incredible statement made by the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. He says, in one translation, I have no right to boast just because I preach the gospel. After all, I'm under orders to do so. And how terrible it would be for me if I did not preach the gospel. If I did my work as a matter of free choice, then I could expect to be paid. But I do it as a matter of duty because God has entrusted me with this task. Now, the subject he was on is he was, he was instructing the Corinthians why they should pay their pastor a salary. And he was explaining why while he was there, he didn't allow them to do that. And basically he was saying, I was just trying to make a point when I was there and to myself and others. But for our topic, for this sermon, what he's saying, the truth is amazingly simple. And it, it is, it's this, when it comes to responding to the need of world evangelism, We're in trouble if we don't, and we are rewarded if we do. God will honor us if we obey him in the harvest, even if it means we have to get the victory over our flesh to do it. I've got a couple of experiences in this file. When when I was still a new convert, I had a motorcycle. And uh, I had a bad habit of not paying attention how much gas was in my motorcycle at any given time. Because when you fill your motorcycle up with gas, it has a reserve tank that automatically fills up. So when you're just driving down the road and it starts to do that run out of gas, you just reach down and you turn on the reserve tank and you're good for another 60 miles. So one fine day, I'm cruising down I-17, I believe, or up north, and I'll, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm having a wonderful time, and all of a sudden, zhoo, zhoo, no problem. It's running out of gas. I will just reach down, and it's already on the reserve tank. <laughs> Hate that part. <laughs> Pull over. 
out of gas. I don't really know where I am. I look down the road this way, you know, shimmering, you know, of this shimmering. I got to pick one way. I'm going to have to hitchhike. I'm going to have to get some gas. So I picked one way. It was 30 miles. I, I learned later I could have gone four that way, but that's all. <laughs> no problem. So like, you know, like a mature believer, you know, like a, like a responsible adult human being who took full responsibility for his stupidity. No, I had a funky attitude, man. Seriously, I'm just... Uh, so I got picked up by somebody and literally, you know, 30 minutes. And I was so filled with, with just immaturity and pouting. I didn't witness to him. And, and you know, the truth is, you know, we, we felt responsible for the salvation of the entire world. You know, you know that? We, we need to witness to people. So I'm thinking, you know, I get dropped off and I get all convicted. I go, oh, God, I, you know, I bought my gas tank and I fill it up, you know, and I'm walking back to the highway and I said, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm such a powder and I, I should have witnessed to those people. And, and God, if you'll just have somebody pick me up, I will witness to anybody that you have picked me up. And the minute I said, while the words were still in my mouth, a Greyhound bus filled... filled with teenagers going to Flagstaff. Listen, I hitchhiked across country. That's illegal. They can't do that. I mean, that bus pulled over. No way. No way. Now the guy's hitting the brakes like, hurry up. You know, like, oh my gosh. And I get on the bus. And I go to this, I'm sitting in the back. My heart's going, doo, doo, doo. I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I thought, I, I better start somewhere. And so I, I saw the, the seat right behind the driver only had one guy in it next to it. It was empty. So I walked up, you know, I sat down. I'm going to get him one at a time, man. I don't know what to do. So I said, hey, uh, you know what? Uh, I just got saved a little while ago. And uh, Jesus Christ set me free from drugs and stuff and and. You know, uh, gave me a new life, man. You know, he died for you, and, and I'm, I'm just doing the best I know how. And I can tell the bus driver's listening. You know, he's, he's doing this. And I'm thinking, ooh. But uh, you know, look, I'm on, man. I'm committed, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he goes, hey, speak up. I can't hear you. And I said, why, do you know Jesus? He goes, do I know Jesus? I was supposed to die of cancer, but I got healed. And I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Ghost hit me on the top of this foolish head, went all the way to my toes, and I turned around in my seat. I said, hey, did you guys hear that? Your bus driver was going to die of cancer. And he got healed. Well, I got saved. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is... And for 30 minutes, man, I got as many of them as could hear me. could not believe it. You know, he pulls over at my bike, and I shook his hand. Thank you, everybody. Got off. I said, I cannot believe you just did that to me. Gee. I want to tell you something. When you just do it, then God gets involved. See, God can help us. He knows what he's dealing with. He, he knows the material he's dealing with. When we went to Kenya, came under heavy assault. We're being interrogated by the CID. I had no idea 
what I was doing. I learned to pray, man. Granted, I'm more careful with my prayers, but I learned to pray. I, I remember one desperate prayer that I prayed in Kenya. And I said, God, you said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Surely the incompetence of one pastor will not prevail against the church. You must help me. And I'm telling you, it was exhilarating what God did. It was powerful to watch God reach down and, and, and touch key people in the government and, and open doors and expose this and, and, and release resources and, and nationalize. There was a grace. It was exhilarating. It brought fruitfulness and victory. You know, the idea of burden has long been associated with a strong emotional drawing. I have a burden. But you know what? Really, more often than not, the term burden could be better described as picking up your portion of the load. I'm going to bear my share of the burden. A burden for souls, then, means that you are going to pick up your portion of the responsibility. And I want to say to you, my experience is that when I overcome and have at times overcome these struggles, these have been times that have been attended to with the greatest fruitfulness. This may involve going and it may involve sending. Sending is translated giving. There's going to be people that are going, and then there's going to be people that are giving to send them. And Jesus confronted the religious greed in verse 12 and 13. And look what happened in verse 14. This is after he cast them out, after he rebuked them. It says in 14, and then the blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. You know, when you get the money issue right, miracles follow. And there's people here tonight, you need miracles in your ministry. There's going to be people going to work in Christ's harvest. There is a supernatural dimension released when you get the money thing right. Trevor Fong is another one of our missionaries. He had been a missionary in Taiwan. He was back in Perth when I arrived. And again, very good man, settled in on the council. And listen, I'm not saying that everyone that's gone out once needs to go out again. You know, thank God for people that find their place. But for some people, I'm, I'm telling you, Trevor, he's settled in. He's on the council. He's a good man. He's a good man, good family. And I remember... One, um, one Thanksgiving, there's a, we have, we have an, another American there in, in Perth, and he does a Thanksgiving dinner and invites us and you know, a lot of the other Australians. And he'll ask one of the Australians to speak on the issue of Thanksgiving. And I want to tell you, that's always very interesting. <laughs> but when Trevor stood up and he began to recount the historical Christian godly dimension on the original Thanksgiving, I'm telling you, there was an anointing. There was a great... And I remember just sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm not sure God's done with him. And a few years later, 
He came to me and said, Pastor, I really, I, I really can't just stay here. I need to be a missionary again. So we decided to send him to Malaysia, Kota Kinabalu. Amazing revival. Amazing revival. Immediately, people healed. People filled with the Holy Ghost. Crowds and response. And in almost no time, we got him a building. He's running between 40 and 70 people. He started doing miracle crusades himself on Sunday night and would pack it out. He had to, he, he, he appealed to me, he said, Pastor, we need to rent the building next door, and we did. He just passed his one-year anniversary. He had 95 people there for that. Hallelujah. And I thought as a reluctant young disciple in Prescott, like the son in the text, when I repented and went... And went to the park and witnessed. God honored it and gave me a very valuable reference point. One of the young men I prayed with not only became part of the church, but married a sis- the sister of another convert that God had given me there. And this man, thankfully, I heard just rededicated to the Lord recently. But this man's son is named Justin Manzanares. And he's the outreach director in Prescott. Hallelujah. Has destiny. God only knows what God, God only knows what he's going to do through that man's life. We all have a responsibility, church, to be vitally involved, to go into all the world by going, sending, giving, whether we feel like it or not. And I want to tell you, God is pleased and he will honor it when we just do it. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then, leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.